Your Most Avid Reader by Bibi Berkey. Byron's Girls. Working title. Synopsis of first chapter. In a tiny tea shop in a street by the hill that leads to Greenwich Observatory, four young women meet every Thursday morning for tea and robust conversation. Fiercely clever and socially courageous, they combine elegance and wit with just enough dashing vulgarity to set them apart from most of their acquaintances. Two of the girls, Eliza Thames and Elfrida Castleman, grew up together, the daughters of educated men and outspoken women. They are very attached to the company of Elfrida's brother, Robert, and the three of them go out and about together. Robert has long been sweet on the daughter of a local merchant, Jane Marville, and so she was invited to join the group. Jane is a dominant character, charismatic, often bored with proceedings and acerbic. A brilliant young woman. Hester Sampson, a shy blue stocking with huge potential, was also coaxed into the gang. After three months of meeting regularly, and much to Robert's amusement, they set out on a plan to dominate London society. The idea is that by the end of the year, each girl must have won the love of a poet, for which Reed slept with a poet, or at the very least been the scandalous subject of a poetical work. They draw up a list of male pastimes which they must experience, such as opium dens, billiards, racing, and earning money. They will be confident and self-assured and pay no attention to their detractors. There's no actual law against women enjoying the same pleasures as men, after all. Sample chapter. The girls thanked Mrs Rainford for their tea, and as ever tipped her excessively. The tea shop proprietor made a brief bob of thanks and walked away, shaking her head in fond despair. The words, Lord save us, came wafting behind her. I should like to own a pair of breeches said Eliza at once. I should strut up and down the strand and watch the mothers turn their children's faces away. Oh, so should I, exclaimed Elfrida. What a side I should be, my enormous rump clad in black serge. I already own a pair and it brings not a jot of excitement for me. Let me inform you of that, drawled Jane. They're deuced uncomfortable and sit most unprettily on the thigh. I should think ladies will never wish to follow the male fashion quite that far. The girls never knew how much credence to give Jane's pronouncements, which were often given, as now, in a tone of ennui. By and by, Eliza and Elfrida announced that they had to leave, having promised to accompany Robert on a walk by the river. Would you not reconsider joining us, Jane? Elfrida pressed their laconic friend. Robert asked quite pointedly that we should insist you make up our number. And you must join us too, naturally, Eliza hurriedly added to Hester. But Hester merely gave a crooked little smile of amusement. Jane answered for both of them. 
We shall stay here. Hester and I have no interest in walks by the river, or in young men's passions. Poor Robert, the stronger her ardour for Jane, the greater her distaste for him. In fact, she seemed to relish the agony she was able to put people through. Eliza and Elfrida couldn't wait any longer on Jane. It was clear that Robert would have to do without her company yet again. As they left, Jane yawned. Silly girls with silly ideas, she declared. What's that, my dear? asked Hester. The games girls play. They debase themselves. I won't be part of it. Indeed, said Hester. Though you can't blame Robert for having an interest in you. You excite passions wherever you go. Jane might have recoiled from such flattery from anyone else, but coming from Hester, it was the source of pleasure. From the minute these two young women had met, they had liked each other greatly. Jane was relieved to have found a clever friend, someone well-read, articulate and high-minded. And Hester had admired Jane's fearlessness, the bold and open way she spoke. Jane's words cut and slashed. They were always chillingly accurate and hugely entertaining. At times, perhaps, they were misplaced. But that was all part of the excitement of knowing her. I'm tired of them all, said Jane, her gaze falling on the passers-by beyond the window. The games, the pettiness. I was meant for more, to be known, to be remembered not to fall in line with a dull husband or to decompose as a wife. The problem is, I'm clear on what I don't want to be. Not so clear on what I shall be. That is much, said her friend. More than most. Jane turned to Hester. Her eyes alight. Something in them seemed cruel and yet alluring. How is it that you seem so satisfied and I am not, or can't be? Perhaps, said Hester with a degree of shyness, because I know what I want to do with my life. Jane always probed, never felt the need to hold back. And what, pray, do you want to do? Sail off with a sea captain, seduce a foreign prince, or a princess, perhaps? You can tell me, my dear. Jane watched her friend laugh and demure. Conquests of the heart are not my special skill. Then what is it? Tell me. Hester paused, her eyes anywhere but on her friend. She was hesitant. I refrain from speaking of it, merely because I do not wish to bore the company I'm in, she said. Out with it, exclaimed Jane. I shall beat it out of you one way or another. Hester held up her hands in submission. It's nothing. Only that I have a conviction about my future. What I'm sure of, more sure than any human could be of anything, is that my future lies in literature. Let me divulge my dearest dream, that when a person inquires of me who I am, that I should answer... I am Hester Sampson, a writer. A writer, 
It's been my fondest wish since childhood. My father produced essays and learned books, as you know. I grew up on his lap, discussing the best turns of phrase, the most efficacious choice of words. It's in my blood. My heart beats with it. And that's not all, my dearest friend. I shall write the most delicious romances set in the past. My stories will rove far and wide through the history of our island. I shall study the obscurest documents so that I might dig out totally forgotten times and events. Then I shall use them as the settings for my romantic tales. Oh, oh, and here's my other notion, that each of my books shall tell the tale of the same pair of lovers. I even have their names. Can you believe it? He shall be called Dominic, and she shall have my second name, Marianne, so that I can exist within her skull and know her for sure. My dear, dear Jane, I have not the slightest anxiety that my stories won't be read and enjoyed. I just know that they will be appreciated by all free-thinking women in the land. Maybe men, too. Just as soon as I become twenty-one, a mere half a year away, and receive my endowment, I shall set myself up in my aunt's attic room, and, by heaven, my family and my friends shall be proud of my achievement. My heart beats insanely now at the very thought of my most wonderful future. And there she stopped and regained her breath. And her friend leant across the table and seized her hand and remarked, What a fine, fine ambition, my dear. Would that I had such a yearning, such a perfect longing. Hester pressed Jane's fingers tightly and with a fierce and excitable strength. Oh, my sweetest, dearest friend, she exclaimed. You too shall find an ambition of which you are certain. I just know it. There is a serendipity in these matters. Jane lowered her head and released an enigmatic smile. Her thick, dark curls tumbled forward over her pale brow. No, she said. There is no luck, only design. We get what we set out to get. Hester let go of her friend's hand and placed it back on the table and hummed merrily to herself, buoyed by her little speech, relieved by her confession. She hadn't much understood her friend's response, certainly not her last remark, and had not found it in the least ominous. But then she could never, ever have predicted the deceit and the turmoil of what was to come her way. Why, oh why, had she opened her mouth about her dream? Why had she trusted another with such a precious prize? She had started the clock running on treachery from the minute she opened her mouth. Who are you? You know who I am. Hillary was played by Rebecca Charles, Monica by Georgina Sutton, and the female narrator Claire Davies. Your Most Avid Reader was written by Bibi Berkey, with sound editing by Mark Lingwood. 
It was made by Tempest Productions and brought to you with the kind support of Rattlesnake Books, an established seller of books, maps, ephemera, art and curiosities. Rattlesnake Books can be found on Instagram, Etsy, Abe Books and Biblio. Thank you.